Ladies and gentlemen, you are so welcome to the Tuned In podcast, the first episode of 2024, and we have a guest for you today. So my guest is a fitness and well-being coach with over 25 years experience in the well-being industry. She is a wife, a mama, a daughter, and an all-round badass businesswoman, in my opinion. How she continues to show up to life is a true inspiration her honesty, her vulnerability, her genuine respect and kindness towards others, showing up for others is remarkable. I have wanted to have this guest on the podcast for quite some time, so I am genuinely happy that today's conversation for the podcast is the first for 2024. It is my absolute honour to welcome my guest to the Tuned In podcast today, Aoife Bradley. So I have laid around with how I am going to introduce today's guests for for quite some time. And I don't think that I will do it justice or that there are enough right things or kind things to say to today's guests that if they could only, I hope, it is my hope that they understand the impact that they have on the world, that what they give to others that are in need in abundance, that I hope that they know how much they do for others. And parking aside even that, the way I see this person is a teacher, as a teacher that I believe that my awareness for others that are in need has opened up tenfold because of this person since I am following this person and I'm following this person on social media for quite a number of years and I just all I can say and I believe that anybody that knows my guest today will agree with me that there's not a big enough thank you Aoife Bradley for all that you do and I genuinely and it's amazing you can hear the emotions because of your stories and your posts this morning, what you create for, for others. And I genuinely mean that, that the, just the insight that I have on the world and how to show up in the world, that if I can do it in a fraction of what you do, my dear, I will be happy at the end of the day when I leave this world. So good morning, Aoife Bradley. Welcome to the good Tuned In morning. podcast. How are we? Good morning. Oh, my goodness, Celine, that was <laughs> a, an introduction I wasn't prepared for. Thank you very much. And thank you for this opportunity. Uh, as I said before we started recording, this is my first yes of 2024. And thank you for making it happen. And I'm excited about where this conversation is going to go. And it could go anyway. That's And that's what I'm excited for. And the great thing is it's your first yes to 2024 and it's the first episode of the podcast for 2024 so it's a great start it's a great start start. so where where to start there's there's a question that I want to start asking people that are our guests on this on this podcast I because obviously it is a well-being podcast what does well-being mean to you in your words um so It's funny, I recently just did a a post on this on my Instagram, on my grid, and it was a memory that that had actually come up on my Facebook. And it was a picture of me, you know, quite a few years ago, I had gotten a photographer in and 
I wanted pictures taken and, you know, and back then, now I'm talking, this picture was taken probably, Chloe and Ava were young at the time, but let's jump back maybe 10, 15 years ago. I'm 45 this year. So about 10, 15 years ago, you know, fitness to me was, you know, physically strong and what can I lift and, you know, what were my PBs? And even when I was younger, I was always on teams and it was about my performance and I wasn't necessarily the best of the, in the team, but I worked hard and, and that's what I always looked at was how well did I perform in a game, you know? And if I was going to the gym, what did I lift today? And all of these different things. And, and I think that was because I was younger. And as you get older, the umbrella and the bubble wrap that your parents have of you, as you become an adult, you're a bit more exposed to life's lessons and life's journeys. And, you know, so now for me, hand on heart is well-being, is happiness, contentment, a calm mind, you know, to be excited. And that if I'm feeling these emotions, I'm doing something right. And there is no point in me going doing, say, a CrossFit competition and being able to do all the wads and my mind is in turmoil or, you know, I'm irritable mommy or that's not what well-being is for me anymore. Yes, I want to feel physically strong, but it's further down my list now. And for me, it's everything above, you know. I love that. Yeah. Um, you and I are very like that way that contentment is a big word for me yeah. when it comes to well-being. I, I just I don't think anything, no matter what outcome you achieve, what goal you tick off, if you're not feeling some form of contentment or happiness in life can we truly and I don't mean this as a judgment on anyone but can we actually say that we're being if you want to say quote unquote successful in life or is that true happiness if we tick off the boxes if we if we achieve if we're not feeling some form of contentment for where we are um in and life. it's in the word like you know there's so much you know, about social media and hashtags and hashtag well-being and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's in the word being, being present mm -hmm. and being grateful and wanting to show up for myself and feeling well from within me. You know, that's and when I was younger, you probably didn't really have to think about that as much you know, because you were going to college, you were traveling. I traveled for, you know, quite a number of years, you know. So if you were bored in one place, oh, I'll just jump and go to another country or, you know. So, but then when you become a, an adult and a parent and things just change and the goalposts change and, you know, that's okay. But it's definitely contentment and happiness and that my mind just feels that it's not like there would have been a point Celine where my mind would have been going at a pace of 90 million miles an hour if there's such a pace and that then turned me to be irritable and not present 
So as I sit here today and everything feels good that way, then mm-hmm. feeling healthy. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back to nine years ago to paint a picture for for the listeners to how life looked for you back then? What was it that was happening in that moment of your life? So I might just jump maybe 10, 11 years Absolutely. just to bring it up to that. So um, I got married and soon after we got married, um, we were pregnant. And of course, we were delighted. And um, unfortunately, that pregnancy, we had a little baby girl and it didn't go to full term. Um, so that was the first realization that, OK, life throws us challenges here. And um, so we had a little baby girl and, you know, we had to do the burial and everything. And then we found out we were pregnant again. And it was, you know, a little bit of a shock, but it's like, okay, we're pregnant again. And I was at work one day and it was very early on in my pregnancy. And we had, I we found out we were pregnant on New Year's Day and literally rang the, the early pregnancy unit within the rotunda because they did say, look, if you become pregnant again, you'll have to come through us. And um, so we rang and we went up and we had our scan. And um, I remember lying up on the, the plinth and there was a little, little bit of silence. And I just said, is everything okay? And she said, um, oh, we found two heartbeats. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, our baby has two hearts. <laughs> and I was like, there's two hearts? And she's like, no, 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 there's twins. And I was looking at my husband and my husband was looking at me. And I was like, oh, phew, OK, so there's not two hearts, there's two babies. And then it was like, what? But I remember there was still this look of of not you know, I knew something wasn't right with her as she was, you know, moving it around my belly. And I said, is everything okay with them? And she just explained that basically the two embryos lying on top of each other. And that, you know, normally when you look at a scan of twins, they're in their own little, you know, sacks. And she just said that, you know, she mentioned conjoined, you know, and I just remember envision the, the beautiful twins in Ireland who had had that emergency, you know, the operation mm-hmm. of separating them and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these little things. And so basically she just said, look, because it's very, very early, we're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to come back in two or three weeks and we're going to rescan you. So I remember myself and my husband, Alan, we were driving back home and, you know, one side of you is so happy and then the other side, it's worry. You know, what, you know, are they conjoined or are they monoamniotic twins? So this is the other situation that we could have been in, which was a 25% survival of this type of twin. Now, this is nine years ago. These statistics might be higher now. So back then it was only 25%. So two, three weeks, I'm not 100% on the, the how many weeks lean, but it was about that. We went back up to the rotunda back into to our consultant and I was up on the bed and I can remember my shoulders were up on my ears and they were just so worried and she did the, the scan and she said okay 
they've separated. This is good. They are monoamniotic, which means that they were in the one sac. There was no dividing membrane between them. So at this stage, they were still tiny. I was only maybe eight weeks, I think, at this stage. And um, she said that, you know, it's monoamniotic. So as the babies were getting older and bigger, their umbilical cords would entangle. So she mentioned things like, you know, where one baby might feed more than the other and that you'd have to, that would be twin to twin transfusion and all of these different things were mentioned. But she said, go now and live a normal pregnancy and don't be worrying and et cetera, et cetera. So I went back to work and all was fine. And we told our, our family and, you know, excitement started to build in then and we were having twins and, you know, this was, was amazing. And then about two weeks later, I was at work and I had a bleed in, I was working in my gym and I had a bleed. And I remember ringing my husband saying, you know, I'm after having a bleed. And we literally drove back up the road. And I remember being at the toll and we had no money to pay for the toll. We didn't even have our bank card to scan or anything. And I remember there was a lovely woman and she just opened the barrier and we drove on up. And again, you know, in through emergency, we had, we had rang ahead and they said, come through emergency and we'd bring you straight through so back up on the plinth and waiting to see if there was heartbeats and your fingers are crossed and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and thankfully there was two heartbeats but they discovered that I had a fibroid quite a significant fibroid and it was at the neck of my womb and that's actually what was bleeding so they brought in the professor. I think he actually had been in theater and he came in and he said, okay, good situation. The babies are perfect. All is fine there, but because you are bleeding and the fibroids could continue to bleed throughout this pregnancy, but we can't become complacent because of your previous history. You're going to have to stay in the rotunda. Oh I was like, <laughs> and he was like, no, for your pregnancy. Oh wow! So this is maybe eleven weeks now. I think at this stage, and I was like, I have to stay here. So for me, being, you know, going to the gym, meeting my friends, cooking my meals, you know, socially going to the cinema, or all of these things, gone. Yeah, we now need to monitor you and to make sure that. You know, the fibroid doesn't, you know, interrupt the pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera. And that they were monoamniotic. So the risk was a little bit higher now. So I, my husband went home and packed a bag and I moved up to the third floor in the rotunda and was there. Now, at that time, you only went to 30 weeks on this type of pregnancy because of the babies. Now, each pregnancy was different. You know, some babies mightn't grow you know, as big, so the umbilical cords mightn't have been as tight and little things like that. But they told me on average about 30 weeks. So, um, yeah, that was the start of, you know, a journey that I know was the start of my mind constantly racing, like, and worrying and 
every day. I used to get scanned once in the morning, once in the evening and got the heartbeat traces every four hours. And I wasn't, I was only allowed out of the rotunda for one hour a day. And I used to go over to this lovely Polish coffee shop across the road. And it was constant fear, Celine, constant fear and worry. And I had envisioned, you know, when you're pregnant and you'd be going to these prenatal classes and meeting all these other pregnant mommies and I had none of that, you know. And look, the outcome is amazing now. You know, we have our two daughters, but back then there was a lot of, you know, it was kind of resentment and fear. And mm -hmm. my best friend, Shivy, printed me out a calendar and I used to tick down the days. So it was really wishing my pregnancy was nearly over that I could just have the babies, you know. And so that was definitely the start of me feeling so fragile within my mind. You know, there was fear every day. And I'm assuming here that because you had such quite, quite a long period of time in the rotunda, so you're reliving that fear each and every day with your scans and tracing the heartbeat and that, that at the point that when you had the girls, when you gave birth to the girls, did you find that a habit, a new way of life as such was in place with your life, you know, a habit of fear and constantly thinking, thinking with fear. Did you find then that when you got home with the girls and went back to work, did this continue on or? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's when I knew, okay, you know, like I was home before the girls I used to go up every single day to them because they were in, in NICU for so long. You were constantly worrying about their, their weights. You'd ring every night. Have they gained weight? You know, I, I was breastfeeding for the first couple of weeks and it just became so difficult. And then I was expressing and my husband went back to work. And I remember one day I was getting the bus up and I had the milk in my bag. And I remember, because I had, obviously had had a section, so I wasn't able to drive. And I remember getting up off my seat on, on O'Connell Street and looking down and my milk had spilt oh, out of my bag, you know. And it was just when I think back and going in and straight away going to the midwives, is everything okay? And hearing the beeps and the beeps and an alarm would go off beside someone else's baby. And yeah, like it was just... And then every night, as I said, ring in the rotunda and the midwives are incredible. They, you know, I'd say, hi, this is Aoife Bradley and, you know, Chloe Neva's mammy and, oh, they're doing mighty. And they were just so reassuring. And they were just, when I go up there, they'd come over and they'd put their hands on my shoulders and they'd say, breathe. They're here. They're thriving. They're doing so well. You know, and I remember there was one midwife and her name was Anya and she was from Cork and she was with me all throughout. They all were, but they were just amazing. And I remember her one day sitting in front of me and she says, Aoife, you know, you can only do so much for these girls, but it's time now that you need to look after yourself. Yeah. She knew yeah. because I was coming in, the bags under my eyes were getting darker and lower and, and, she, you know, in other words, you need to start enjoying being a mommy here. You know, this is the process. They're doing so well. They're out of the danger. And then it was when they moved from NICU into nursery. 
I started to appreciate these little days a bit more because I knew it wasn't danger anymore, you know, mm-hmm. and the nursery was lovely and you were, you know, bathing them and, you know, you're, you're the support from the midwives. You're starting to feel like a mommy here now and not just, you know, living on complete fear. You know, but I still hadn't come to terms with the looking after myself. You know, I, I because in the rotunda back then, now I have heard from clients who have had babies in the rotunda since that the food is a bit better. But back then it was where my addiction to sugar kicked off because it was your processed cereals. It was your condensed juices, your concentrated juices. It was your tinned fruit your white bread and marmalade and you know this is where mm-hmm. my my sweet tooth was born mm-hmm. as well as my babies you know so it was I then became addicted to my galaxy bars and my coffee oh that good galaxy bar <laughs> they were my stimulants to get through my days of what yeah. point did you realize that okay this isn't necessarily healthy or that you realize that I'm just I'm racing on adrenaline or I'm 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 getting by with sugar with the coffee with the galaxy bar at what point did you say okay this has to change it was at the beginning you know you've so much help like my parents my mother and father-in-law my sister-in-laws my brother-in-law everyone was full-on helping all the time and it was amazing and I felt as if I was in this little bubble you know and because there were so many hands on deck you weren't doing it all on your own but there was one day my sister-in-law for some reason or another she wasn't able to come she lived in Dublin and she wasn't able to come down to help me that day and Alan had gone back to work at that time he only got what is it? Maybe it was two weeks or something. Yeah, or, even, yeah. you know, so he was going back to work. And I remember they were in their Moses baskets and I was sitting there and I was after feeding them. I was still in my pajamas and this is probably their second or third feed of the day, but it'd been two or three o'clock in the day, still in my pajamas, about five or six empty coffee cups around the kitchen and just feeling miserable and saying, Right, Aoife, you are these girls' mommy. You need to get your mojo back. You need to feel like Aoife again, and you need to show up for you. Fill your cup. And I can't say this enough to people out there now, that I needed to feel fill up my cup, Celine, to be able to look after Chloe and Ava, and to give back to my marriage my friendships, everything. You know, I was very, very fragile, very, very vulnerable. And it was that day then was right. For how many years have you told clients? What advice have you given your clients? Now you are your number one client here. And I remember going out to the fridge and my mom had done a shop, you know, wasn't using the food but I remember that day I went out and I made the simplest of salads and I said right I got a pen and paper and I wrote down three small little goals one was 
by 11 o'clock, be dressed. The simplest thing of washing myself, getting out of my pajamas, putting on my tracksuit, whatever it was. And, you know, then another goal was to eat the meals that I prepared. So every night, this was the start of my new morning routine, which I still do now to this day, is have the porridge in the saucepan the night before. So regardless of what kind of night we had with the girls, I'd come down, I'd see the porridge oats in the saucepan. That is your breakfast. And make that breakfast. And then beside that goal in my copybook was a tick, a tick, a tick. And that was the start of it. And then the third one, what I used to do was, was just get out into fresh air. It was not at the time anything to do with getting how many steps in a day or anything like that. Getting out into nature, getting out of the house, fresh air, saying hello to people. I remember I hadn't spoken to people apart from my family, you know, so I was saying hello to anyone that I met with the buggy, you know, and just getting out and reconnecting with which was my life previous, you know. Did and it then take- at the week- <laughs> Sorry, go on. As the weeks would go on, then my little micro tasks and goals to myself would get more. I'd have five on it, but I'd make sure that I consistently do them. You know, you don't want to be writing 10 and 12 goals every day mm-hmm. because that just becomes overwhelming and you just don't do it. You know, you start small, and when you're doing something without even having to think about it. I was just turning the knob on the stove with the porridge as I was heating a bottle. And I knew, right, that's a new habit you've created, Aoife. And that was me showing up for myself. And I knew I was getting stronger and stronger mentally every single day. For anyone that's listening to this episode that is in a position for whatever, that is in a situation, in a position that they're not feeling themselves, they're going through a difficult time for whatever reason it may be. And they are hearing what you're saying. What was it that got you to switch on the heat for that saucepan? What was it that said, right, okay, I'm sticking to getting out of the pajamas by 11 o'clock or having a shower, whatever it may be. What would you say to someone that is in that position? Just this. You need to... Yeah, you really need to know what your why is. Mm-hmm. I mean, your first question to me was, Aoife, what is well-being to you? You know, everyone is different. But for me, it was happiness, contentment, and a calm mind that then resulted in me wanting to be a mommy and not just, you know, being just existing. I wanted to, and especially as they were getting older and, you know, and still to this day, they're nine. And that will always be my why is for me. It's not being selfish. It's that for me that then I can give out mm-hmm. to them. You talk. Think, sorry, continue. If I think that if you are feeling any way fragile or sad or whatever your situation is you know just get that why and think that 
by you making these decisions for yourself, the results you get are truly, truly priceless. Mm -hmm. Priceless. You know, and for me, one of my big triggers would have been stress, and still is. But now I've learned, you know, that there's certain things that I don't do. So if my work and home life balance isn't there, then mom guilt creeps in. But that can be prevented because I am the only one that fills my diary, you know, and take on work. So if I am bringing that into my life, then the results aren't good. If I don't eat my, if I'm stressed and I don't eat my meals, what's going to happen? I'm going to end up wanting the galaxy bars. I'm going to have more coffee than what I now only have is one coffee a day. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy every sip of it. But that's what I would advise you is write down your why and how are you going to put the systems into place and introduce fun, lighthearted things every day. Even if it's just to pick up the phone and ring your best friend and just have the laughs with her on the phone, you know, and you mm -hmm. will. It's, it, I just believe that your mind, yes, it's fragile, but it can react quickly. If we can give it that hormone that makes it feel good, you'll just want to continue. I 100% agree with you, Aoife. You talk and I've heard you over, over you know, the years when I'm following you on social media talking about your why and I just cannot agree anymore. It's just the word that comes into mind for me is intentionality. It takes us out of that rat race because we live in such a fast paced world nowadays and we've all that chaos and noise from the likes of social media and, you know, the expectations that are on us from from society. And it's just when we have that understanding that understanding of why we want to do what we want to do in life and how we want to show up. I think it's just, it's incredible. It's just yeah. having to remind ourselves, isn't it? And, and about, you know, like so often, you know, we can react too quickly within a situation without giving ourselves the pause and say, no, like I have been in a petrol station. I, I used to laugh when I get back into the car I used to think that person behind the counter must think I am stone mad because I'd be standing there staring at the galaxy bar or standing staring at the coffee machine. And then I'd either walk out or go up to the fridge and grab a, a bottle of water because I'd stop and I'd think about my why and the ripple effect. If I do have this coffee and or if I do get this galaxy bar, I'm then going to be given out to myself for doing that. And then my, you know, I'll have that adrenaline rush and then I'll have the crash and then I want to do it again. And, and it's about giving yourself that, not the fight or flight, just stop for a second. Take a couple of deep breaths, you know, and then react. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've really worked on, especially in the last year. It's just stop. You know, mm -hmm. pull up the adult socks. Like my clients laugh at me when I say that to them. Sometimes we just have to pull up the adult socks. You know, if if your kids do something that you know is wrong and they know is wrong, you'll say, don't do that. That's, you know, we need to do that to ourselves. And sometimes we're not strong enough and we don't. 
But the more we do that, the less you find yourself in the situation where you have to do it. What do you say to someone that if it be, I don't know if you if you have words that you voice to your clients in the gym or just again for the person that is listening to this episode, that let's say they're starting off and they want to make change for whatever reason in their life and the judgment is there, the ridicule, the words, because let's say they they feel they've broken down in the petrol station and they've picked up not only one galaxy bar or they've picked up a full pack and they end up eating it within two days or whatever it is. What would you say to that person? I assume you, your clients in the gym would have this from time to time the guilt that they put on themselves for not hitting their three workouts a week or whatever it may be. How do we learn to park aside that judgment? I always say, you know, that we're not perfect. And if we live a life where we think we need to be perfect, then when situations like that happen, Celine, we're harder on ourselves. I believe that if our awareness to ignite our why every day and that we have the systems in place and we're working on the systems, then you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, things do happen. And believe me, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I haven't had a galaxy bar or, you know, I didn't one day have that second coffee. I'm human. You know, there's no robots There's no one perfect, but I say to myself, okay, and then the next choice I make will be a good choice. Don't allow that poor choice to build momentum and for that snowball then to become an avalanche and next thing, the whole week is gone. And it's about how quickly you can pull up those adult socks. That's what I just say to people and park it. Learn from it too. I do believe we can press the reset too often without learning from it. Oh, that's so important. That makes so much sense. And and knowing what your triggers are. Like for me, I I say there's five main triggers of why we might make it a poor choice. So stress, boredom, emotional upset, reward, and tiredness. Okay, so it's it's being aware of them. I think, did I say stress? Yeah, so mine would be stress and being aware. And as I said, it's preventing it, you know, emotional upset. That can be quite difficult. You know, you can bring in grief there. You can bring in someone who's sick in your life and you're caring for them. But as I say, is that always remember that for you to be able to give to others, fill your cup. And once we know our triggers and like simple thing of writing it down and then putting a system in place for it, the easiest one for me would be boredom. And that's, you know, put on the telly and there's nothing on. Go and declutter your wardrobe. Go and clear space. Go and phone a friend, go and meet a friend for a 10 minute walk or, you know, that's when you'll hear, do you want a cup of tea and a biscuit? Oh, sure, go on, you know, but know your trigger. And we all do. And when I meet a new client and, 
we go through the triggers and some might say yes to all of them and that's okay but that's you addressing it I think then once you know you'll work on it once you want you really it's about wanting to do it and that day that Rachel wasn't with me with Chloe and Ava was the day that I wanted to change that is that's um makes so much sense with with the triggers and again it goes back to what we were saying you know a few moments ago that understanding it's having that understanding of why we show up the way that we do the the behavior that we that we have but I just want to lean into something for for a moment I love what you were saying about and you know especially someone that's in the well-being industry like yourself and that you're a fitness instructor and a personal trainer that you eat the galaxy bar you might the odd day have that second cup of coffee or whatever whatever it may be that they're don't be looking at you know this you know someone like yourself being perfect that we that we're all human and that we all have challenges in some way and I just would love to lean into the topic of 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 challenges, if you want to say that you are someone that over the course of the past few years and not forgetting what you've been talking about, what you've been through with the girls and 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 losing your little girl before Ava and Chloe came along. But you are someone that in the past number of years, I can't remember if your hysterectomy was two or three years ago. I think it's probably is it is it that long yes, ago now? Three years, yeah. Yeah. That you yeah. that you have been through life-changing surgery that you have lost your dad, who yeah. I'm going to say, your, your best friend, the, yeah. you know, you say the voice, the kindest words about him. That these are, of course, very much so challenges in your life. And that, you know, what, again, going back to someone that is listening to this episode that are going through, you know, whatever, if it be grief or difficult situations if it be in their personal life their career whatever what do you say to them what how I can only imagine that you're going to grieve and forgive me this is an assumption that you're going to grieve forevermore for 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 your dad that you know you're learning to live life with that grief but what do you say to someone that is going through difficult times what is it that has helped you put one foot in front of the other every day since since that surgery and and of course since losing your dad so we'll just go to the hysterectomy first so that came from the fibroid basically had taken over my whole womb and I was going for a procedure to um basically stop the blood flow into the fibroids but when I went for the the scan they realized that the fibroid had just basically grown arms and legs and had just, it wouldn't have worked. So I remember when the consultant came in to me, I was in the matter for this and um, he had said to me, are you finished having children? And I remember being in there on my own and the procedure, I was in and out in 10 minutes and I knew they hadn't done anything. So I felt okay. And I remember this is hours later and the lovely nurse kept coming in he's going to see you on his last patient and I said something's not right here so I remember when he came in he pulled back the curtain and he sat at the end of the bed and he put his hand on my leg and he said we had been talking before and I had said that we weren't having any more children and he said 
you had said to me that you weren't having any more children. And I said, oh, yeah, no, we're finished. Is everything OK? And he just said to me, look, Aoife, this procedure is not going to work. You know, you're going to have to have a hysterectomy. And I remember thinking, wow. So that decision, if we did want to have children, is gone. But I actually was OK with it because he, he reassured me and he said, Aoife, the life you've been living the last year, the quality of your life, he said, you know, you cannot continue living like this. And I couldn't. And for anyone that's listening and anyone that is, you know, I have so many people who have messaged me who are due to have their hysterectomy. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a good way to be living. So I reassure you that your quality of life will be so much better. Now, my ovaries were damaged. I still have them. So, you know, maybe then the line they might have to come out but at the time he just took my womb but he did say to me you know you will experience you know perimen or menopausal symptoms and lo and behold I was in Tesco's one day and I'll never forget the surge of heat I started with the hot flushes and then it was a whole new ball game of learning about menopause and female hormones and educating myself and thank god Davina McCall was really really talking about this you know and it's amazing now because so many people are talking about it and it was educating myself and now my why I know if I have a night out with alcohol or if I have more sugary foods or if I don't exercise or whatever my symptoms are tenfold I am on HRT the last year and a half now, and that has helped with my symptoms. But that's, you know, they're the reasons why I know I need to look after myself. And it's a non-negotiable now because there is over 30 symptoms of menopause. Wow. And we can be experiencing them from your early 30s. And this is all stuff that I wouldn't have even known about because I didn't feel I needed to. But only when you're in it, you you learn about it and you read about it and you say, yeah, you know, and I take my my remedies and, you know, it's it's because symptomatically I don't want to be feeling like that, you know. So that was the hysterectomy. And thank God my quality of life is I remember what the, the first summer I put on white linen trousers. I hadn't worn them in a long time. <laughs> And girls, when you know you listen to this, you know what I mean. And that's being able to exercise now and not having to worry and, you know, all of these things. Yeah. yeah. No. So if you are going for it, you know, I tell you, you'll come through it and the rainbow is there. In relation to grief, Celine, yeah, it's a navigation where it's daddy was. And I, as you say, I openly talk about he was my absolute, yeah, he was my strength. He was my biggest cheerleader for anything I ever put my hand to, whether it was fundraising, my businesses, everything. You know, he was, when when we had his funeral and the the night before at the wake, and I think I shook hands with, you know, the, the undertaker said, if I've never seen so many people come, but everyone that shook my hand, words of he was the kindest man. And he was, 
He never, there wasn't a door he didn't cross with a tray of eggs. He was an egg man and he was an egg man right up until his 82, you know, and his kindness was just him. And when it's taken away from you so suddenly with no preparation, you know, I got that phone call on the Wednesday morning from my aunt at 10 a.m. And it's a pain that I will never forget. And it's 13, 14 months on and there is no wrong or right way to grieve. You will live with grief. But again, it's why I show up for myself, you know, and I know he's looking at me and he's minding me and everything. And there's days that I will cry and I will ugly cry. And there are the days where I say, right, go now and meet a friend. Go and play with Chloe and Ava. Well, there would have been times in my life, Celine, where I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have addressed how I'm feeling. And I would have just brushed it under the carpet. And that carpet just gets higher and higher, you know. And I'm very, very grateful for the 43 years I had with him. Very grateful. And what I just, for anyone that is experiencing grief, you know, just sit with it. Remember them. Keep their memory alive. Talk about them every day. You know, do what makes you feel good whether it is visiting their grave or whatever it is, you know, but I don't think you'll ever not live with it. We learn to live, live and navigate through it. Mm-hmm. You know, and mind yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? I think it's something that it could be an, an episode in itself is, is yeah. grieving and, and learning to, as you say, to navigate life with, with grief. Is there anything out of, curiosity in the moment is there anything that anyone said to you if it be soon after he had passed or if it just recently words of of wisdom or advice to help you navigate life with grief is you know that's a very good question because it's things that people have said that like about him (sighs) remember the qualities of your loved ones and that's what I hold on to his kindness he was he loved he was loved by everyone and it's that void because we all loved him so much but what I hold on to is that I'm so lucky that I had that love from him and you know, I smile when I think of that. And, you know, you do cry, but there, and I, it, it's the kindness and the love. And then for me, showing up for me and looking after me, that's, you know, they're definitely the two things that I would advise and is, is just keep looking after you. You know, have the duvet moments, get under that duvet and cry, you know, don't be afraid to cry. And if someone around you is like, are you crying again or something? Oh, my goodness. 
You know, you don't need that in your life. You know, <laughs> keep the people close to you that make you feel good. And that's, yeah, that's what I would advise. It's so important, it's isn't it? Much. And like, I love your honesty, Aoife. And, you know, if it be here today chatting to you and of course on social media, that you openly talk about how life is is real and, you know, what you're saying with have the duvet days. And there is so much noise, you know, if it be again, you know, society or social media with well-being looking a certain way. And it can, and I, th- I believe it has become quite toxic in the past number of years of how it is supposed to look. And it's not real, but unfortunately there are, I do believe that there are people out there that are soaking up what people are portraying on social media. And I would just, I would love, I'd love your opinion because I know everybody thinks differently and it's it's very hard. I I sometimes struggle with how to, it's a, it's a learning curve for me, for someone that's on social media, what, what exactly to voice, how to portray an honest life and, you know, the realness of it all and how well-being needs to, how would I say that it's it's not all rainbows and it's not all unicorns and, and glitter and stuff. And I just would love your your opinion on social media when it comes to well-being and obviously just in general. But how do we navigate around it that it doesn't it doesn't control us and we don't consume everything that we see on social media? I think it's it's about especially this time of year now, everyone is you know, doing a new trend or you have to do what you feel fits your purpose. You know, like everyone now is ice bath and and ice therapy. And for me, as I sit here with a hot water bottle, that (laughs) doesn't, it's just, I enjoy watching people doing it and I fair play. I think it's amazing. And there's people who say it's, absolutely changed their whole you know life and it's brought their anxiety down and everything and go for it absolutely if that is working for you do it you know I think everyone will try something you know but for me it's finding what what works for you what works for me might not work for you Celine at the end of the day, and you said it there in your question, are you living an honest life for yourself? Love that. And that is it at the end of the day. And don't be afraid to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I may want to make arrangements to meet a friend or something and, you know, they say, I can't meet you today. And that's OK. You know, I meet you the next day or whatever. And it's it's that there's no pressure on on anything that we put ourselves through in life. No. And that if you don't like running, don't go running. What is the point? That's torturous. Mm -hmm. You know, I laugh at some of the girls in my class and I might have, you know, a few runs in between something or whatever. And it's all right now. You'll be back to the kettlebell in a minute. You know, for me to say to them right come on we're going to do a 5k run that's not enjoyment that's torturous for them 
If you love dancing, go do ballroom dancing, go do Zumba, go what makes you just feel good. You know, I, I just love what you were saying there. I think it is just so important. Because then you're going to do it again. What's the point in going into the sea and I'm not going to do that for another eight weeks, <laughs> you know? But for, for the people that are doing it, like I look at Rory's stories and there's people that I'm following and, you know, that's amazing that they have found something that they're really benefiting from. Absolutely. You know? and, it, and it brings, it connects that they are doing their breathing and it's making them mindful of the situation they're in. And I will do that in other ways. <laughs> I will sit in my car at half two with no radio, no phone, my hands on my thighs, and I will breathe in for three counts, hold for three counts, exhale for three counts, and I will do that eight times before I get out the car to become mommy. And that's me being aware of my breath and my surroundings. And that's what works for me. I have, you probably know this, like, well, I know you're, you're a fellow journal lover that yeah. I have become very aware over the course of the past year or a little bit over a year to when I give my opinion or voice my experience with journaling, like I, I call myself a journal junkie. It has been the yeah. number one thing that has brought me to where I am in my life today. I, I it's, it's a part of me forevermore. It's it's not it's not a tool anymore. It's me. It's just me. But I've yeah. become very aware that what you were saying there, that journaling is not going to be for for everybody, that I have become aware of the words that I'm using, that it's not to put guilt on anybody that they're like, oh, my goodness, I need to start journaling. Like Celine Brennan talks about this all the time and it's another must and it's another should that I just love again what you're saying, that it's it might not be journaling could be the worst thing for a person. They're just not into writing. They're not into creativity that if it be breathwork or if it be the, the stepping into the sea, whatever it may be, that it's your rule, isn't it? It's you make yeah. it work for you. Yeah, I think when it comes to journaling, I think people just don't know what to journal. Mm -hmm. And it's the likes of you that is giving examples and, you know, guiding people. I find that when I work with people who find it difficult to be accountable and we have to be accountable, we could have wishes, but we don't act on these wishes. We don't create systems and we wish we were something, you know? And if you hear your say, yourself saying this, then that's where I say to people, Get pen to paper on a little copybook, whatever it is. And my wishes nine years ago became action, which gave me the results. And then your journaling can grow. What are you grateful for? Gratitude is something 15, 20 years ago, I never would have even thought about. But now, I say things like, I'm grateful for feeling calm. I'm grateful for wanting to get out of my car at work to go in and teach. The last year, 2023, I sat in my car and I wanted nobody to turn up. And now, you know, 
okay, the evenings are cold and the gym is cold and stuff like that. But now I am, I'm ready for this. And I am so grateful for that. And by you doing simple little things like that, it just grounds you. And you stop thinking that the grass is always greener. And when you click on so-and-so on Instagram and, you know, they're living this high life or whatever, you know, it stops you from thinking, I wish I was them. You don't, you're you. Knowing you are the driver of your ship, you know, cliche or no cliche, but you are. No one else around you can help you. They can guide you. They can encourage you. But you have you are the one that has to want to do it. I so if you find you're not accountable and your wishes are growing, definitely just write down a few little goals and get the systems in place. I could talk to you all day, Aoife, and I'm very aware that you <laughs> that you have a life to, to run today. Before I ask my last question, I would love, and I think you have voiced them. I, I think I've I've guessed a few, but you talk about as well as 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 your why in that you're non-negotiables. I would love, love you to talk about because you do you do talk about this on social media. If you don't mind explaining what non-negotiables are and have you some examples of what of what some of your non-negotiables are yeah so before anyone starts to think about what their non-negotiables are just flick back to the why and then my non-negotiables grew from that and that's important because again you do not want to feel that non-negotiables are regiment routines they're not you're doing them for a reason and my you know it goes from the minute I put my foot on the bed out of the bed in the morning and that could be you know four or two five and I'm not you know saying I get up so early and I'm so wonderful that's just the line of work I'm in and I could have clients you know at half five so my morning routine is you know just looking at my little flip calendar, turning it over and saying, right, today is January 18th, Aoife, and staying present within that time. And that stops me from accelerating on to 3 p.m. school pickup. This is the time I'm in now. And, you know, I will have my porridge and everything ready so that I don't come home after being in the gym and not want to eat to then go and do the school run. So these are a few little things. My morning routine, take my vitamins, not it, you know. My evening routine is getting me ready to close down some tabs. So I take my magnesium, I do my fridge scan so that when I come home, I open my fridge and I'm literally taking my food out. I am not going to be doing five, six hours of food preparation on a Sunday. Sunday for me is being with my family. So I'm talking the basics that are ready. Then I'll have my oats in the saucepan. And then I go and I'll have a bath and a shower and I'll do my skincare. I only start my skincare routine, Celine, at 40. <laughs> so, you know, but I really enjoy it. Apart from my skin benefiting from it, it's me closing down my tabs, you know, that I have a good night's sleep. Because some nights it's only six, six hours. And that's fine because it's six good hours sleep. Stillness is without a doubt. And that can be done for me in the car, like I said earlier. 
I would have ran on adrenaline for so long, Celine. So many tabs would be open. What happened to me then is I was irritable, mom. Come on, girls, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I sometimes I still hear myself saying that, you know, but I'd quickly react and I'd stop and I'd breathe, you know, while before it would have been, you know, irritable mom and angry mom and no one wants to be like that you know so it's giving myself 10 minutes I might listen to a podcast as well and these are things that I'm giving back to myself movement you know that's easier for me because it's in my job you know but people we are designed to move and we're not moving enough as a nation we're sitting at our desks. Some people are still working from home. You know, my husband is still working from home, apart from one day a week. And it's so important to move. You know, get out into nature. Get that lovely winter vitamin C on your skin. Our eyes, we need that brightness. We need the stimulant behind the eye. And there my, you know, four or five non-negotiables. And, and... I know sometimes kids are sick or the hubby is home late from work and we didn't get to go to a class. There's always a plan B. Put on a YouTube video and do something in the sitting room. Go and put the baby in the buggy and go out for a walk. You know, because all of my non-negotiables result in me feeling the way I want to feel. It goes back to what you were saying, doesn't it? That what some people can believe has been selfish, putting yourself first. It's not. You just show up better in everything that you do when we put those actions, those self-actions in place, whatever the non-negotiable and wanting to to do it. Aoife, there are so many, so many more questions that I want to ask you. And I do believe there may be a part two. (laughs) But can I'm going to finish off by asking you, what are your biggest lessons to date with everything that you have been through over the course of the, the past however many years? What are your biggest lessons? Um, to worry less to enjoy the simple things in life because when you look back on things they are the most important but definitely for me it's just to worry less and enjoy and you know not everybody is going to like you and that's really okay you know once you love yourself look after yourself then the overflow will ripple out everything else in your life and everyone else in your life. And I think that just comes with age too, you know, and just just be a good person, you know. Come from a good place, good place in your heart. And then, yeah, they're my life lessons, I think. Aoife Bradley, thank you for being you and thank you so much for today. Thank you so much, Celine. Thanks for having me.